0: Hosea chapter 3 I'll let you uh, remain we stood for our New Testament reading I'll let you remain seated for uh, these just five verses and the Lord said to me go again love a woman who is loved by another uh, another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leaf of barley. Y'all keep that much in your house, I'm sure. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, you have inspired these words. Uh, You have preserved these words for your church today. And we uh, need you at work in and through them in our own hearts and lives. Uh, We will not hear, uh, we will not understand, we will not love, and we certainly will not be changed if you don't do that work for us. And so would you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to respond in love, and hands and feet to go out and live the gospel We ask all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, There are, uh, as you may or may not be aware, uh, a number of dangers out there, a number of threats out there uh, to us as believers. Um, I'm struck even by the way I just said that sentence. My My assumption is that when we think of dangers and threats, they are always... Out there. Did you notice? I'm like, I even put out there into that sentence. Um, uh, Because we have this sort of notion that uh, the real scary stuff, the real dangerous stuff, the real threats to the gospel, to the church, to me as a believer, it's all out there. But the reality is it's not. There are a number of threats and dangers that I don't need you I can create them myself. They come from within me. I don't need all the bad stuff that we typically say are the threats and the dangers to the church. Because I can provide that myself. Think about it. One of the dangers might be that, um, that I think too highly of myself. Right? That I'm that I'm just so great that the reality is, I mean, it's a good thing that, that God called me to himself because it makes him look good. Right? I mean, if you really want to, to bring people, why are you laughing? There were way too many snickers in that. Right? If you really want people to come to saving faith in Christ, then you know, God, what you need is you need some certain people. And I'm one of those people. And aren't you glad? Because I can make you look good in the eyes of the people out there who need you. There's another danger. Uh, Another danger is that uh, not just we think too highly of ourselves, but we think too lowly of others. Right? We all have people, um, and I've said this before, we all have people in our minds that if we're pressed, we kind of think they're too far gone. They're too, they're too unlovable. For that matter, they are too far gone for Christ to be able to save them, right? They're too far gone for me to bother introducing Jesus to them because Jesus isn't going to be able to do anything with that. Or they're so far gone that there's really no point in me introducing Jesus to them because they want nothing to do with him. And the reality is, this passage addresses that danger. It addresses both of them. That we think too highly of ourselves and that we think too lowly of others. That we think that we are so great that we make God look better because we're on his side. That there are others that are so far gone that they're unredeemable, unlovely, unforgivable, unworthy, not even a shouldn 't even bother talking to them about Christ. This passage reshapes our notion of ourselves and others around us. First, I want you to see that God redeems us by his grace there 's a, a command an instruction right off the bat in chapter three. Uh, Hosea is told to go and love a woman who is loved by another man because some of you will ask me this question and I know who you are because some of you will ask yes technically grammatically the again could go with the first half of the sentence or the second half the Lord said to Hosea again go and love a woman. Or it could fit grammatically, Hosea, uh, go, uh, God said to Hosea, go again and love a woman. Uh, and I think it belongs with the second, the way we have it here in our English translation. translation. The, the implication is, and we're not going to wander down this road. The implication is there are people out there who believe this is a different woman. This is not Gomer. This is somebody else. That God is telling him again for a second time to go and love a woman, this time not Gomer. That's kind of the the implication there. Except I think there's every reason to believe that he's saying to him, you're going to have to go and love Gomer again. Uh, Part of it is, tell me you remember Rufus Xavier Zasparilla. Like those of you, you, oh boy. It's only the greatest schoolhouse rock of all time. It's that you have your homework assignment is to get on YouTube and find Rufus Xavier Zasparilla and watch that schoolhouse rock. It's all about pronouns because saying all those nouns over and over can really wear you down. You notice there's no proper noun in chapter three. We're never given a name. She's simply referred to as a woman and her. And I think part of the implication there is that the her refers to the woman, but also back to Gomer. We have her proper noun back in chapter one. We have her name already. And so we don't need a name again. And so the part of the point is that this is uh, a command to Hosea to go and love Gomer all over again. Because she's left. She's gone. She's run away. She's run off with some other lover or lovers. She's run off with other men. She's called an adulteress. She has this habit, it seems, of, of pursuing other lovers. But you notice very quickly the writer turns his attention from Hosea and Gomer to God and Israel. This is not a story of Hosea and Gomer. Uh, If we make the book of Hosea about Hosea and Gomer, we have completely missed the point of the book of Hosea. Because notice the way the writer connects his love for Israel To the action commanded at the beginning of verse 1. Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. God is committed to Israel, the, the church under the old covenant. Who is perpetually chasing other lovers. In fact, that's actually been the story of the northern kingdom throughout its existence. The very people that Hosea is writing to here. Hosea is called to love an adulterous woman precisely because Yahweh loves an adulterous people himself. Israel is his bride. The church is his bride and is guilty of the same adultery that Gomer is guilty of she turns to other gods she's been worshipping Baal for ages for generations in fact from from her very beginning the northern tribe exists precisely because Jeroboam wanted to rebel and give himself to the Baals and that has been their story and so it's in light of of that Spiritual reality of Israel that Hosea is commanded to go and find his wife and love her again. You have to wonder. Would you go? I mean, would you? I mean, think about it. There's there's absolutely nothing about her in this moment that is enticing and there's everything about her that is repelling she is saying to him i'm not interested i don't love you i love these guys or this guy or all these other fella or whatever right would you go It would be awfully tempting to just kind of throw your hands up and say, forget it. It's a lost cause. It's a waste. Why go and find her? Why love her? Why endure the headache and the heartache and the public humiliation of it? Would you go? Well, the picture here is the reason for enduring that is To remind us that our salvation, our redemption is all by God's grace. We are Gomer. We are as unlovely as she is. We are as unlovable as she is. We too are as unworthy as she is. And yet you read while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. It doesn't say because you'd gotten yourself all cleaned up. Because God thought you would make him look good. Christ died for you. Hosea's pursuit of Gomer is really a picture of God's pursuing grace towards the unlovely and the unlovable. And so God in his grace determines to redeem his people. But notice we're also told how that redemption is accomplished. Because in verse 2, Hosea has to go downtown, I don't know, wherever, humor me, right? Has to go downtown, find his wife, figure out where she is, discovers apparently she's up for sale, perhaps. Or for whatever reason, he has to dig into his pocket and pull out 15 shekels of silver and add that with some flour in order to buy her back. there's everything wrong with that sentence this is his wife she's born him children he's he's loved her they've lived together they've they've they're married and have been married and yet he has to go and buy her back he has to go and and pay whatever the cost is in order To have her again. You don't don't go pay for someone that you've already married. You've already been betrothed. You've already been covenantally united together. Like, I'm not saying it's not expensive after that. I'm just saying you're not paying for them again, right? You're not buying them back. And so Hosea has to go and, and pay whatever the required price is to redeem his bride. And again, there's the picture. Because God will pay the price to redeem his rebellious, adulterous people. That's what redemption is, right? We use the word redemption. It means to buy back. Like the little glass bottles, right? You finish the Coke. You take the bottle back to the store and you get a nickel. Unless you're in Vermont or California, it's a dime. (laughs) Or whatever states there are. They, they're redeeming the bottles. They're buying back the bottles. And so there's this picture that it's the grace of God that causes him to to set his love on the unlovely and to pay the price required in order to buy back the unlovely. But don't confuse grace or redemption with license. Don't confuse grace with tacit approval of your sinful condition or of your actual sins. If I could steal from the Heidelberg catechism, which we just used a few minutes ago, right? Our original sin and our actual sins, our sinful condition and the actual sins that we commit as a, a consequence of that sinful Condition. The reality is sin has consequences. It, it has ramifications. And, and for that matter, we just read Hebrews 12 and we read Hebrews 12 on purpose. And it's precisely because that passage reminds us that God disciplines those whom he loves. Just as we automatically understand that loving fathers actually discipline their children. And God disciplines those He loves. God redeems us by His grace. Second, God reproves us by His grace. Look at verses 3 and 4. Notice that Hosea—I mean, uh, Gomer is returning to Hosea. He's bought her back. They're going back home. And He says to her, verses 3 and 4, here's the deal. We are going to live together. You are going to be mine and I yours. And you will not... Uh, Play the whore to use his language. You will not belong to another man. And just as you will not belong to them, I will not belong to you. For some unspecified number of day, for many days, an unspecified length of time, there are limitations placed on this marriage. There are some of the benefits of marriage are being withheld within this context for a time. But even that's a picture of God's relationship to Israel because notice verse 4. There's a, a connecting word. Verse 3 is, 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 is Hosea and Gomer's relationship And then there's the connection, the connecting word for. Hosea, this is going to be true of your marriage for a time. Why? Well, because that's also going to be true for Israel for a time. The children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, sacrifice, pillar, ephod, or household gods. The, the relationship, these actions or lack of actions in Hosea and Gomer's marriage are a picture of the relationship that God will have with Israel. You see, her heart is given to sinful relationships. Her heart is dedicated it's committed to these other lovers and this separation weans her heart from those desires there's this picture that that you and i are going to dwell together and and we're not going to do everything that married couples can do and we're not going to do that for a time why because we're going to wean your heart off of your love for these pagan gods or for these other lovers. God reproves in order to draw our hearts away from the sinful things that we desire and to turn towards him. And that's exactly what's about to happen to Israel. It's not long before Israel gets conquered by Assyria and sort of scattered. It's a hundred and ish years before Judah, the southern kingdom, will face the same consequence. Babylon will come, defeat Judah, carry them into exile. And for a time, it's unspecified for Israel. We know it's 70 years for Judah. For this unspecified time, she will have no king, no prince, no sacrifice, no pillar. No ephod, no household gods. Do you hear the pairings of the words? The priest wears an ephod. Household gods are idols. Um, sacrifice or pillar, worshiping the one true God or worshiping uh, idols. There's this. There's this time when Israel is going to be scattered and unable to worship unable to serve any of the gods they know at least in the ways that they understand service see here's the thing god won't share okay kids don't take that home and say well if god's not going to share i don't have to share my toys with my brothers and say that's not the point right you you know you always have to be aware of how people are going to take the like one sentence I'm grabbing that one God will not share his glory God will not share your heart God will not let his people love him and others God wants his people's wholehearted devotion And so there's this this weaning there's this time when god's people are unable to worship anything unable to serve any of the gods that they know in any of the way that they know precisely because god will not share his bride god will not share his bride his his people his church israel just the church under the old covenant he won't let her give herself to idols he won't share her with the gods of this World. He won't share her with the pleasures of this world, which seems to be the the cakes of raisins. Which, by the way, just proves that raisin bread is of the devil. <laughs> I'll remind you of that. <laughs> you know, you think about the ways that the church today, probably unintentional. Okay possibly unintentionally. We'll we'll grant a little bit of of sort of possibility in any kind of direction. But the ways that the church has been influenced by the prosperity gospel. Now you and I are going to go, that's, yeah yeah, right, those people out there, like that's not us. We don't, you know, that's them, that's not, I don't, right? We're in the PCA church, we don't have that sort of issue. But it's back there. Right? We have these, these sort of notions that, um, that, that if life isn't smooth sailing and if everything isn't going exactly our way, then something's got to be wrong. Or, or we believe that God owes us um, because we do the right thing, because we belong to him. That somehow God owes us certain things. That God is in our debt and the evidence of his love for us is ease and comfort in life. We we let our surroundings, we let let our our situation, we let our conditions determine for us our view of God's love for us. We measure God's love and care by by my surroundings, my conditions, by how obedient my children have been today. How much money I made today. How you know, clean my house is today, whatever the, the, the case may be. But this passage reminds us exactly what Hebrews twelve told us that God disciplines us. He trains us to reframe our thinking and our affections. Right? He uh, Romans twelve, we're we're reshaping the way we think so that we learn to think his thoughts after him. God disciplines, he reproves us precisely so that we will learn to love him and the things that he loves. That requires training, that requires discipline, that requires sometimes taking things away that are drawing our hearts away from him. God redeems us by his grace, God reproves us by his grace, and finally God remakes us by his grace. Um, Harry Potter has a famous scar. It's a lightning bolt on his forehead. Sorry, I just say that word. My kids make fun of me because I'm from South Carolina. It's a forehead, right? It's not a forehead. It's a forehead. Uh, you don't look. But so every time I say that word now, I have to be sort of conscientious about how it comes out of my mouth. Harry Potter has this scar and he got it because... Voldemort tried to kill him and his mom, actually killed his mom, tried to kill him, but his mom's love for him protected him, saved him, and left him with a mark. A mark that would affect him for years to come. God's grace leaves its mark on us. Okay, it's not a scar, it's not a tattoo, it's not some physical Sort of thing that you can we can see and, and recognize it 's not visible to the eye, but the reality is god 's grace absolutely changes us. it leaves a mark on those who belong to God. Notice verse five because there 's this picture of the people changing from the inside out, the hearts of god 's people are changed. Their loves are renewed. Their desires become for him afterward. After these many days, the children of Israel will return. They'll seek the Lord, their God. They'll seek David, their King. Their desires are for him, their hearts, their loves, their, their passions, their interests, the things that they're devoted to changes. Why? Because God changes us from the inside out. His grace leaves that kind of a mark on us. God redeems us by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. He frees us from the penalty of sin. That's that fancy word, justification. And he is at work in us, freeing us by his grace and by the work of the spirit from the power of sin. that's that fancy word, sanctification. There's this picture that God's people are being renewed from the inside of. Out. And in verse 5, God announces a day that in these latter days, Israel is going to be different. Well, how is Israel different? How are God's people different in those latter days? Well, for one, they're seeking the Lord. They're not chasing after the, the gods of this world. The pleasures of earthly life, the desires of the world around us. But God's people are pursuing God and him alone. These many days of separation have sort of caused her to forget her lovers and to grow in her love for her redeemer. They'll also pursue, they'll seek after David, their king. Here's the thing, David. This is this, here's my plug for the Wednesday night men's Bible study. We are reading in second Kings right here uh, on Wednesday nights, David is long gone. He was ages ago, generations ago. He, he's not really the king that they're looking for, except what they're anticipating, what they're longing for is the day when David's descendant. Sits on the throne. Remember the promise that God made to David. I'm going to have your descendant. Your offspring will be on the throne of Israel forever. And so they're longing for that day. When that king. That Davidic promised king. Comes and rules and reigns. Over the household of God. Which is. You talk about a change of heart. This northern kingdom exists. Because they rebelled against. That king. They didn't want the Davidic line on the throne. David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and Jeroboam and his buddies said, nope, we are going to take over. We're going to rebel against that Davidic line. Their hearts are so changed that they're now returning to the very king, the very ruler that they threw off ages and generations ago. God promises Hosea a day that there will be a day when Israel, by God's grace, these rebels who once rebelled against against God and his king, come and seek the Lord and Jesus, his true king. Notice the language of verse 5. When is this going to be? It's in the latter days. You and I could say, instead of latter days, we could use the word now. Now. Because that's where we are, right? The prophets always anticipate the latter days being the days of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews back in chapter one reminds us that we're in the last days. This time between the first and second coming of Christ is in the New Testament writer's mind, the last days. And so the the prophets anticipating the latter days, those days when Christ comes, when that one true king comes and is both king and king. And is the payment to redeem his people. He is both sacrifice and priest and king. See the problem is I think. Sometimes we are more like the first century Jews than we care to admit. You remember why they rejected Jesus. It was because he didn't fix what they thought needed most to be fixed as quickly as they thought it needed to be fixed. Right? They didn't, he didn't come riding on a white horse with his sword and slaughter the Roman oppressive government. He, he wasn't the redeemer they thought they were going to get and he didn't fix the thing they thought most needed to be fixed and he didn't do it as quickly as... As they thought it should. Well, we do the same thing. How often do we think well, Jesus isn't working fast enough? Jesus isn't moving quickly enough. He's fixing the wrong stuff. Like, If Jesus really is real, why is there still brokenness in the world? Why are there still war? Why is there still catastrophe? Why is there still this feeling in my heart that I make God look good and that there are people out there that I wouldn't bother wasting my time telling about Jesus? Why is all that true? I thought Jesus came to fix it, and yet here it is. This just reminds us that the work of Christ takes time. Yes, you're freed from the penalty of sin. Yes, you're being freed from the power of sin, but it's only after he returns that you will and you will be freed from the presence of sin. If you've ever thought yourself, if you've ever ever thought too highly of yourself uh, that God was smart to call you to himself, that God did a good thing When he saved you, because you sure can make him look good in the eyes of the world around you. This passage reminds you that you are just as unlovely as Gomer ever was. That our salvation is all of God's grace. Jesus said, I'm not coming for the well. I'm not coming for the healthy. I'm coming for the sick. I'm not coming for those who have no idea they need me. I'm coming for the broken and the messed up and the damaged. Your salvation isn't because of your worth. It's by his grace. If you've ever thought someone was too far gone. Wouldn't that be Gomer? If you've ever thought, well, I mean, I know so-and-so and they don't know Jesus and they need the gospel. But I mean, really, that would be a waste of my time, their time my breath, I only have so many words in a day and I'm not going to waste them on them. We know people that we think are just too far gone. That's Gomer. In other words, there's no such thing. There's no one so far gone that the arm of the Lord can't reach and redeem them. And finally, will you be patient with yourself and others? Because God is at work. His grace leaves a mark. He's changing us from the inside out. He is at work filling his church and rooting out sin in our lives. And until he does, until Christ returns and that work is complete, may God grant us the grace to participate in that work of gathering and perfecting the saints. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for... Your grace to us. Your goodness and your mercy. Uh, Undeserved as it is. And yes, we know, Lord, that that word is unnecessary when talking about grace. And yet, far too often, we think of ourselves as worthy. We think that your grace was deserved. Would you root out that, that sin in our lives that thinks too highly of ourselves? Would you soften our hearts towards the unlovely and the unlovable who, are stand, who stand in need of the gospel, who need Jesus. And would you draw them to yourself? Would you even use us to that end? And Father, we pray that we would be a place that, that participates in the work of growing your kingdom. Bringing unbelievers to saving faith in Christ and then equipping them for service In your kingdom. We ask all of this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.